This week's John Tapp Racing Podcast is brought to you by Inglis, number one in its field. The racing world was stunned in late 2014 when Graham Begg announced that he was closing down his famous Barrimal Lodge stables at Randwick and quitting Sydney Racing. Graham had been there since 1990 when he took over from his dad Neville who decided to accept a contract to train in Hong Kong. Graham was 29 at the time and for the next 24 years he churned out a steady flow of winners including 14 at Group 1, 16 at Group 2 and 13 at Group 3. He indicated his intention to take a complete break from racing before setting up again in Victoria. And that wasn't an easy task in view of the fact that he was unable to obtain stables at Flemington or Caulfield. I was training a pacer a few years ago that Graham Part owned, and I don't think we've had a conversation since. So this is long overdue. Great to talk to you, Graham. How are you, John? What were the reasons that you decided to make the big decision to quit Sydney? Uh, well, at the time, uh, the numbers sort of dwindled and we were sort of going through a bit of a, a slow period as far as horses and go. And, you know, we had a few slow ones, actually. Uh, and, you know, we didn't sort of have the stock to replenish. And as you know, Sydney's so competitive, uh, you just need the stock all the time coming through. And uh, so we just thought we had to change things around a little bit and have a bit of a break from it. Um the hardest thing really was, you know, letting go all our staff because we had, you know, a, a good mm. bunch of people around us that had been with us for some time. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a very trying period for the family and uh, myself and Sue. And, uh, you know, it was a very difficult decision to make, but at the time it was the right one to make. Graham, it must have been quite a setback when you learned that stables at Caulfield and Flemington were not available. Well, I sort of knew that. Um, but actually, in between, I'd actually tried to apply to go to Singapore, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I had my heart on set on trying to get into Singapore um, and start up over there. But uh, that didn't come to fruition. Anyway, uh, actually, Victoria was Plan B, and uh, and uh, we so we decided to start looking around where we could sort of fit in, and uh, we were fortunate enough uh, to be able to gain some boxes at a property called Pinecliff, mm-hmm. which is on the Mornington Peninsula. Um, and uh, it's a privately owned farm owned by a gentleman called Jonathan Munns, who's a prolific owner of horses in Victoria or right across Australia, mm. and he owns that Philly Shoals with uh, Arafil Stud. So he's a very big player in the game and uh, set up a beautiful training facility uh, called Pinecliff. Yep. Uh, it's got a grass training facility and also a fibre sand and uh, another slow work sand track but uh, there's only the nice thing about it there's only 60 horses on 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 the site mm-hmm. well graham it was a quiet start wasn't it you kicked off with just six horses and there were no superstars amongst them no there was a bit of a ragtag team uh, what we had uh uh, we had a couple of horses there which had a few little issues as far as their temperaments go and that. But, uh, you know, we started off with a small number and we've gradually built up and, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough uh, to able to produce a horse last year, or this year, I should say, yeah, in written by, came along mm. and won the Blue Diamond for us. And, uh, mm. you know, the, the numbers have certainly soared since then. 
Fate works in funny ways, particularly in the racing game. A few years ago, your father bought a $3,000 filly at the Scone Yearling Sale. You trained her, and this is the mother of Written By. She won a race, Graham. Yeah, that's correct. She she was placed in town a few times. Uh, she'd been placed at Rose Hill on a Saturday, but she only won a maiden at uh, at Newcastle. Mm. And you know, he decided to put it a stud, and and he's bred from her. actually everything that she's had um, go to the races. They've all been winners. Mm. Um, they've been been by various stallions, but uh, certainly he's uh, won right out of the box. The mare's name, by the way, is Yao Chin. And she went to Written Tycoon. Uh, now, Written Tycoon, you've got a long history with him. You actually bought him as a yearling and you trained him to win a couple of races. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I bought Written Tycoon as a yearling at the Magic Million sale and uh, and trained him. He won the Todman Slipper trial and uh, unfortunately the year he ran in the slipper, he drew the outside gate and never sort of really got on the track and Anyway, we spelled him after that and he came back for his three-year-old year and he, he'd actually gone in the wind and, uh, mm. you know, so his breathing was uh, certainly, uh, you know, compromised um, and then he was sold on and went to stud. Yep. And you never know where stallions are going to come from. I think he's already sired five Group 1 winners. Yeah, no, he's done an amazing job. He was, a, you know, he was a... A, a very, very talented horse, and unfortunately we didn't get to see the best of him, mm. but he was the most natural uh, two-year-old, I'd have to say, as far as, uh, you know, first time we let him stride up, he, he could run unbelievable fractions on the track, and mm. you know, we knew he was a pretty special horse. And uh, But it doesn't surprise me that he's, he's done such a good job as a stallion because he, uh, you know, he was a lovely-looking horse, he came from a bit of a, I shouldn't say obscure pedigree. Uh, he was by a horse race here called a Glacier. Mm. Uh, he was the son of Last Tycoon, but he was out of a good old Jackingham family. Mm-hmm. And I always think those families always come to the fore and, uh, you know, good old colonial families anyway. So, but he's done, done a great job at stud and he's had a bit of a sort of mixed start to his stud career because he was in Victoria and then he was shifted to Queensland mm. and he came off a very low base as far as his mares were concerned. Um, you know, he um, he was having trouble getting mares and they were giving, you know, two for one and all that sort of thing. And so he's had numbers get to the races, but he's, he's thrown good horses by mares, which, you know, with – haven't had a lot of pedigree about them anyway, and he's got the job done. Yep. Well, Graham, Yao Chin, your dad's mare, was actually carrying written by when he put her in a, a broodmare sale. She didn't make the reserve. Yeah, that's right. He he was going to sell, and uh, and she didn't make the reserve, so he hung on, and uh, and to his good fortune, he actually tried to sell written by too as a yearling. He went to the sales, and uh, he didn't meet, meet the reserve e- either. So yeah. he hung on to him, and uh, and luck's a fortune, and uh, now he's got a very uh, piece of hot commodity, I should say. Yes, he has. Well, it hasn't all been plain sailing, though, Graham, has it? This horse, uh, written by, had a few barrier quirks. Yeah, that's right, John. He had a few issues loading into the gates and, uh, you know, he had a very uh, stop start to his uh, racing career. Um, Every time we thought we had him right, he'd put on an antic at 
at the gates and we had to send him back to the, the gentleman who actually broke him in and uh, mm. could Shane Stockdale, I must say he's done a great job with him, uh, but he had to take him out over again and straighten him out up a couple of times and, uh, as I said, he had a stop-start um, uh, to his preparation and, uh, you know, he had his first start and then we took him back to the uh, trials again and he, and he got barred at the trials. <laughs> so we had to go back to the, yeah. back to the breaker and, and then we got him back just before he went, won the Blue Diamond Prelude. Yeah, yep, he won the Prelude, then he won the Blue Diamond, then you brought him to Sydney where he won the Pago Pago and he ran fourth in the Slipper. I was only watching that replay again the other day, Graham, and uh, written by in the Golden Slipper. If you had to uh, make a judgment, uh, you know, some months on, was he too close in the run? Was he a touch too close? Well, he drew well. Like, I guess probably he may have been. You know, we we actually felt that um, he wasn't a hundred percent in the ground on the day mm. uh, because the track had been sort of had some rain during the week and it started dry to dry out. It was a bit sort of puggy. Um, Jordan thought when he let him go, he sort of just he struggled a little bit in it, uh, but he certainly toughed it out. He only got beaten a couple of lengths, and you know he he'd been in work for some time, and we you know he we felt that he'd done a fantastic job even to get there. So mm-hmm. uh, he's had a very good break after uh, he went out for nine weeks, and he's had a very very slow uh, build up getting ready for his spring target. Yeah, and it'll be a very limited spring for him, won't it? Yeah, that's correct. He'll uh, he'll kick off on the 22nd of September, then he'll go to the Blue Sapphire, which is on the middle day of the Caulfield meeting. Yeah. Uh, it's a three-year-old race. Um, and then on to the Coolmore, which is on Derby Day at Flemington. Mm, and then out? Then possibly out. The only other race he could possibly run in, in over the spring would be the Darley. That's mm. at Wait for Age on the last day of the Flemington meeting, mm. the tw- straight 1,200-metre race uh, at Wait for Age. Look, he'd have to be going exceptionally well to, for us to consider that, but he'll be certainly entered. Yep. Uh, but at this stage, you know, we think he'll only have the three runs and set him up for his autumn uh, preparation. Graham, I'll just get you to stand by. We're going to pause briefly. Back on the podcast in just a moment. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. Now to reminisce a little bit with Graham Begg. You were stable foreman for your dad for many years before taking over at Barrymore Lodge. Surely, surely to goodness, the best horse you were involved with in that era was Emancipation. Yeah, no doubt. She she was a great mare and she was a winner of, uh, I think, 19 races out of 27 starts and, and and seven Group 1 races. But she ran against some very, very good horses over over that period of time. You know, she had a victory over Manicato and Sadapa. She had a couple of good clashes with him and, uh, you know, she certainly ran in the best company. Mm. Graham, much was said at the time about her temperament. It was often said that she wasn't the sweetest-natured mare. How bad was she, or are those things overstated? 
Oh, no, definitely. She, uh, she certainly had a bit of a streak in her. Like every time you uh, went in the box to take a rug off her, you'd have to have your wits about you because if you were doing it, if you were doing up the front of a rug, she'd be trying to bite you. If you're trying to undo the leg strap, she'd be trying to kick you. So all the time, you know, she was just at it all the time. She'd never give you a, a quiet moment. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, you had to be, uh, as I said, wits about you every time you went into the box with her because she'd, she'd certainly lay one on you. Yeah. Graham, Dalmatia was a nice horse that you were looking after for your dad. Now, just to give you an idea of how good a thing he was in the Epsom one year, Ron Quinton decided to stay at Randwick and ride Dalmatia rather than ride Emancipation in a race in Melbourne. Kevin Moses rode her. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, that was the Edward Manifold. Mm. Um, and uh, she went down to Melbourne and won that race. And Dalmatia, he won the Epsom on that, on that occasion. But he was a very highly talented horse. Uh, Dad actually got him from a trainer in Queensland, and uh, he was a son of Sir Tristram. He'd had a handful of starts in the winter uh, as a two-year-old, and then he came to us as a three-year-old. But uh, mm. he's certainly a highly talented horse, and uh, I think he held the track record at Rose Hill for winning the Rawson Stakes for about 25 years. Uh, and uh, you know. He was he, he was a very very good horse. We never got to see the the best of him because he had a few soundness issues. He always uh, carried a suspensory ligament issue, and uh, you know if he had ever been a sound horse, he certainly he had the ability to certainly win a, a race like a Cox Plate. As I mentioned in the intro, you were 29 when Dad went to Hong Kong, and you were suddenly on your own at Barrimal, and five weeks after getting your license. You won the Group 1 4X Cup with a horse called Eye of the Sky. What a start. Yeah, no, he was a great horse. Uh, he wasn't a superstar or, or anything like that, but he was a horse that had the ability he could win at 1,200 metres and he, and he also won at uh, 2,400 metres. And, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a great horse. And he was a, certainly a great horse for me to kick off my career. And uh, we took him up to Brisbane that winter and we only started him the three times and he won all three starts. Yes, yeah. Uh, culminating in uh, winning the Doombin Cup. Mm. And we offered Larry Olsen the ride on him and uh, he uh, he won on him first up for us up there on Brisbane Cup Day and we offered him the ride in the Doombin Cup and he had a better offer. So we, we linked up with uh, Gavin Duffy and, and he got the job done for us. Later that year, you collected another Group 1 with a filly who was very talented herself but was destined for greatness as a broodmare, and that was a filly called Whisked. She won the 1,000 guineas, and she later – I think she ran second in the Oaks the same year, didn't she? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, as you were about to allude to, she was the dam of Tie the Knot. Mm. Winner of six million. Yeah, exactly. So, no uh, – I lost count of how many Group 1s he won, but uh, he's certainly a great horseman. She was a highly talented filly. Uh, West, you know, she was – that year there was a couple of very good fillies. Philly Catrisca, he was in the same season, and we had another good filly in that season as well, a filly called Twiglet. Mm. Um, and they were all very, very talented horses. Graham, during the 90s, you established your identity as a big race trainer. Now, let's go through some of them. Here, here is an enigmatic little horse, Telesto. 
he won a rider. He won a chipping Norton. He ran second in an Epsom. He was beaten two noses one day in the Doncaster uh, by Pharaoh and Kingston Bay. Uh, one of his biggest claims to fame, Graham, was providing Glenn Boss with his first ever Group 1 winner. I don't know if you recall that. I think it was the Chipping Norton at Warwick Farm. Yeah, that's correct. No, he, he was uh, able to ride his first Group 1 winner on Telesto, and, uh, but he was, a, he was a funny sort of horse to train. Uh, look, he, he was a bit coldy, but when you took him to the races, he was sort of a horse that sort of just got out of the gates and then it took him sort of 200 metres to sort of get into his stride and mm. and he'd give horses a very, very big start in, in his races. And uh, one day when he won the uh, George Ryder, I think oh. he might have been about 30, 30 lengths off the leaders at one stage. Graham, and, uh, at the half mile, he was eight lengths behind the second last horse. Yeah, that's right. That I remember incredible. watching the race. <laughs> I remember watching the race thinking to myself, I think Shane Dye might have overdone this a little bit anyway, <laughs> yeah. but uh, he threaded the needle and uh, sl- he sl- slid up the inside of runners and then crossed over hills and, and, and got out and, and won the race. And uh, in, in doing that, he got he got in a suspension and uh, I really reckon it cost him winning the Doncaster that year because I reckon if Shane Dye had a, been on him, he, mm. he just knew the horse to a tee and uh, he yeah. probably might have just held him up a little bit longer uh, and as as you said, he got beaten two noses mm. anyway. But uh, he was a, he was a, he was a great little horse, that horse. Mm. Graham, he had a full brother called Fraternity. He too won a Group One. I think it was the Spring Champion. Yeah, that's correct. He won the Spring Championship Stakes. Actually, in the morning of the race, uh, there was a long odds on favourite in the race, a horse called March Hare mm. that John Morris trained. And uh, I'll never forget it. I was went home and we were only sort of running for second prize money really because March Hare had won the, uh, I think he won a weight for age race leading into the championship stakes and uh, we thought, oh, well, we'll run for second prize money for sure. Anyway, I went home and uh, I was just having a, a cup of tea and the, had the radio going and the next thing came over, late scratching, March Hare. Mm. I said, oh, well, what's going on, what's going on here? But we're, we're a chance now. Anyway, mm. he, won, he won by a nose. Bonanova was a good little mare. She won a Group 1 Emirates and she ran second, Graham, in four other Group 1 races. Yes, certainly. And she was a full sister to Telesto and Fraternity. So um, she was certainly a highly talented mare and she also had a great finish on her. And she wasn't very big either. So, so, you know, she was able to carry good weights against the mares and, and, uh, and knock off a few handicaps for us as well. Mahaya was a flashy-looking chestnut filly with a lot of white markings. She won an Oaks at Randwick. And you tell me if the legend is correct. Four or five days before the Oaks, she was lame. You were in big yeah, trouble. That, yeah, that's correct. Um, she'd had uh, white feet, and we used to have quite a lot of problems with her hooves. Um, she had a lot of bruising around her heels and things like that. Even the day before the race, uh, she was no good thing to get to the races because she was sort of pretty sore. And uh, you know, we we worked on her all night long. And our blacksmith Albert O'Cass, he uh, he worked on her and he put a set of bar shoes on her during that week. And you know, we got her to the races and uh, and she saluted. 
Monopolize, one of your favourites, very, very good little horse. You took him to Hong Kong twice for the International Bowl. Darren Biedman rode him in one of them. Your brother-in-law, Wayne Harris, rode him in another, and he won both of them in great style. If he got it run right, Graham, he was hard to hold out. Yeah, that's correct. He really loved 1,400 metres and, and strong run races. Uh, he used to get back out of his ground, and uh, but he could reel off a, a really strong sectional. Um, but he was a very, very good horse, Monopolise. You know, he got beaten a nose in a Stradbroke one day, and they run an Australasian record. A horse called Toledo beat him. Mm. And, um, you know, he used to give everything. Every time he went to the race, he'd, he'd lay it all down. You loved a horse called All Silent. You won two Group 1s at Flemington with him. And uh, I think it was around this time you got a bit hooked on Melbourne racing. Yeah, that's correct. All, all silent, he was, he was a great horse. And he came from nowhere really because he went to Hong Kong as a young horse and he really didn't settle in over there. And they trialled him a few times and they rejected him and sent him back to Australia. And uh, we got him going. And um, once we put the blinkers on him, he... Um, he went from being Batman, and uh, he just grew a leg once he once we put the blinkers on him. He was sort of just always going through the motions in his track work without blinkers. And as soon as we put the blinkers on, it just sort of flicked the switch with him and uh, yeah. turned him into being a, a top weight for age horse. Graham, secret admirer was an amazing mare. You won the Epsom in two thousand and eleven. She didn't win very often. But she won $1.5 million in prize money. She was placed in eight other Group 1 races. It's, it's amazing to think she only won three races. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the two of the races she won, they were on the same day, uh, a year apart. She won the mm. flight stakes as a three-year-old and then she backed up as a four-year-old and won the, the Epsom the following year. Mm. And she was very fortunate. She got the right conditions on the right day two years in a row. She loved that little bit of give in the ground and we'd had rain leading up to the meeting and and she was really adept at, at 1,600 metres and with a bit of soft ground and, and a strong run race and uh, she too could reel off a sectional but she's a very, very honest mare and, uh, you know, she's got a son, a first son's racing at the moment. He ran second yesterday in the uh, up-and-coming stakes, a horse called Danawai, so mm. he's certainly a horse to look out for. But, look, she was a wonderful mare and, uh, you know, unfortunately she ran against some very, very good horses doesn't matter where we took her. She, she, she just put it down on the line and she'd try her guts out. Now, Graham, I seem to recall you were lucky to get her to train. There was a yeah, story, wasn't there? Was it a weanling sale? Yeah, no, she went through a weanling sale and uh, John Muir bought her at a weanling sale and then he put her back through the classic sale and, and didn't get a bid on her. So he decided to keep her and, and we got her to train and, yeah, and the rest is history. I love this city, a Group 1 winner. Yeah, there's another horse that I bought as a yearling and put a syndicate together, uh, and he turned around and won the, the Randwick Guineas and a uh, very good racehorse. He won a couple of nice races, the Hobartville and the Spring Championship Stakes in uh, at Newcastle, but mm. he was a pretty talented horse and he's doing a pretty fair job at stud in Victoria. Graeme, you've won a lot of Group 1 races and you must get hooked on that caper. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. but you've got to savour them when they come along because they're pretty damn hard to win. 
Well, here you are at 54 years of age and you're in phase two of your career. It's been a dramatic change, but you seem to be enjoying it. Yeah, enjoying it. Not enjoying the weather, unfortunately. We've got one of the bleakest days of all time here today, but uh, mm. uh, this is our third winter down here and uh, you've just got to handle it. <laughs> you've got to live with it. Most definitely. I get very envious every time I look at the news at night. The weather, Sydney weather's always in the, the 20s and uh, down here it's about 8. So, uh, as I said, you've got to endure it. If written by comes out and wins another group one during the spring, you won't feel a thing. No, that's for sure. It's certain. <laughs> no, he's going the right, right way. Been a long time since we've had a, a chat. I've enjoyed it and thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Uh, it's certainly a pleasure and thanks for having me on. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field.